Welcome to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Her Money. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 16 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we are exploring how women create a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. And I'm a certified financial planner, a wealth advisor, author and speaker with over 30 years experience and professional women and their partners hire me to gain the right knowledge and confidence to overcome financial challenges faced by women as they pursue their version of a wealthy life. And a wealthy life is not just about the size of our nest egg. True wealth is found when we are pursuing our passions, exploring who we really are, expressing our inner talents, and living our personal dreams. The mission of this show is to engage in casual yet deep conversations with experts who are exploring what it means to live a wealthy life and sharing how they are doing just that. And I'll reveal tips and ideas to help you make sure you have the money you need to pursue your version of that wealthy life. Today, I'm excited to have uh, Emily McIntyre. She's a seven-time business owner and a CEO of Catalyst Trade and the Intuitive CEO. We're going to talk about how the Intuitive CEO has the edge in business ownership and company leadership. Yes, but before we introduce her, I wanted to share that yesterday in my Seattle Mastermind group, I've had, I have two mastermind groups that I'm a member of, and I've interviewed all of my partners on the show before. And when we get together, we have this process we follow. And one of the uh, elements of that process is to um, share things that we're frustrated about or challenges that we have with particular situations or things that we perceive as, quote, being in our way. And then uh, the group kind of shares, brainstorms ideas about how we can uh, help each other overcome these limitations and challenges. So I'm creating learning opportunities for uh, you, the listener, and for my prospects and clients that might be considered a bit outside of the box when you think about the traditional way that people in my industry talk to people and educate uh, people about financial matters. And I've had challenges bringing these programs to a Zoom call near you. Now, I believe that women aren't being educated in their own language uh, in my industry. And that's why research indicates that over 50% of women may not have their own personal financial advisor. So I was expressing frustration that even as I attempt to empower more women and gather more women into my mission, I also have um, a challenge that as my best fans and my clients are referring me to their clients and friends, many women that know about me don't really reach out to me. Now, there might be a number of reasons why women that say they want to learn more and do more with their money, why they don't reach out to financial advisors like myself, just to schedule a conversation and have a chat. And so here's some ideas that I had. So. Maybe number one, they just really just don't understand how a financial advisor can really help them. Two, they might be feeling a little bit of shame over the condition of their financial circumstances and they're just a little shy about talking about it to someone they don't really know. Uh, number three might be that they 
They don't want to appear that they're uninformed or uneducated about money matters. And they also, number four, might have a clear intention of getting to it, of calling me up or someone else up just as soon as they can find the time. Well, as we continue to talk about this dilemma of how to gather women to the idea of really empowering themselves with money. You know, both of my friends were expressing that they have long-term relationships with good financial advisors, and they've had these financial advisors because their spouse, their husbands, brought them into their relationship, you know, early on. Well, when I asked them if they thought their concerns as a woman were being attended to in that relationship, they kind of paused and then they kind of had to admit that maybe not. So then I asked them why they didn't feel empowered to have their own personal financial advisor, someone who they could talk to about their concerns, their worries, their hopes, their dreams, their financial situation. They both said immediately, well, we don't have enough assets on our own to talk to someone. So it's true that some in my industry have long communicated that we only want to talk to investors who have a minimum amount of financial assets to invest. And I also agree, I understand there's this shroud of mystery around the costs that financial advice, you know, how we charge as financial advisor. And then there's this whole description about, quote, hidden fees. Well, I believe that these messages that we've been sending out incorrectly for so many years, they've chased off many people who have more financial problems than they do financial assets. And it's this very reason that my practice is structured so differently, because I want women to know that they have a place where there's another woman focusing on helping them solve whatever problem they have with money so that they can get on the road to accumulating financial assets that will support the life that they really want to be living. You know, every professional woman I know has a dream. She desires to achieve financial independence and she deserves to have a female financial advisor who will talk her language and spend the time to fill in all those missing pieces in her understanding about the many different aspects of personal finance. So I thought before we brought our guest on that I would just ask you a few questions so you can maybe see if there's some missing pieces in your own understanding about money and that you could use some help from a caring and interested financial advisor like myself. Okay, so number one, first question, do you have a plan for increasing your earnings over your whole career? And do you also have a plan, a written spending plan that helps you focus on just spending on those goals that you say are important to you so that you're not letting your hard-earned money sort of leak out due to unconscious spending choices? And number three, do you have a written set of goals so you can keep track of what you're really working toward and a vision for what you want in your life, especially in your retirement? And do you understand all of the aspects of your corporate benefits? You know, those benefits that you get from working from a big corporation, they're wonderful. But are you taking advantage of all those company benefits or are you wasting money on benefits you don't really need? And what about your savings plan? Has it been designed to make sure you have the money that you'll need as your life changes, as you evolve through all the different aspects that we get to live in this beautiful life. You know, we have a company retirement plan for many of you. And what I see is that many people invest in the target date fund just because they don't really understand how to choose and select individual funds that could create a a balanced portfolio that might be better suited for your goals and how you feel about risk. And then there's investing money outside of your company retirement plan. Do you know how much savings, how your savings needs to grow in order to maintain the lifestyle you want to be living after you stop working full time? 
See, I could go on and on about these questions. But the, the real point is, are you hesitating to get that personalized financial advice because you think you aren't important enough to work with someone like me? And is some misunderstanding that you have about financial advice, like uh, the charges or what the process is, is that just holding you back from really giving yourself permission to just make an appointment and check it out? I really am talking straight to you ladies because this is a really serious problem, especially during times like now when we're in uncertain economic period, we don't really know how the economy and employment is going to be going for the next couple of years. So all of us women, we need really good advice about how to make financial decisions right now. So what's the first step? Well, just go to my website, reinventinghermoney.com, and you can sign up for my mailing list at the bottom of the page. That's really low risk. And then you can stay up to date on all the opportunities to get informed and to make sure that your money is in shape. All right, let's bring our guest in now. So Emily McIntyre is a seven-time business owner, uh, founded businesses seven times, including a piano studio, writing and coffee businesses. She teaches non-traditional leadership and is an expert in all things coffee, which makes me made me really interested to interview her since I love coffee. I love all kinds of coffee. She's the CEO of Catalyst Trade, which is a, an Ethiopian coffee importing company, and she founded the Intuitive CEO. She's been featured in many publications like Lifehacker and Costco Connections. You know, Emily started her first business when she was 13 years old, and she's on a quest to help 100,000 misfits succeed in business on their own terms. Couldn't be more happy to have you with us, Emily. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Good, good. Okay, so I wanted to share first uh, that Emily, you and I have a few things in common. Uh, one thing is that we grew up in neighboring states to Washington. You grew up in Montana and I grew up in Idaho. And so, you know, those similarities in those two states, like they, we have, they have similar culture, they're more farming and rural in nature, small population in the cities. So, but you had a little bit different kind of upbringing. Tell us about that. For sure. Yeah, well, um, I was in Montana and then also in so two rural uh, communities. And um, I grew up in a very fundamental Christian cult, and I didn't leave until I was 23. So in that setting, uh, there was I was lucky there were a lot of great pieces to that puzzle, but one of the pieces that was missing was a sense of empowerment around careers, definitely around finances. So um, I was trained to be a wife and mother, and that I... Uh. Yeah, which, you know, and I am a wife and a mother now, and I'm very happy there. Um, but I was also taught that I didn't have any other options in my life. And so I had big dreams that I, I really didn't know what to do with those. So, yeah, at age 13, as a homeschooler, I started my first business, which was teaching piano to other homeschoolers. And um, over the next 10 years, grew that to be the largest private piano studio in the area. Did a lot of cool stuff there. It was really fun. Um, also was a writer. So wow. was constantly writing. I think by the time I left this setting at 23, I'd written three fantasy novels and I'd published hundreds of articles and stories and really bad poetry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was really essential in the next stage of my life and forming a career. So yeah, definitely a different background. Well, you obviously had a lot of energy and you also had this inner desire to express yourself both musically and in writing. And so, you know, we all have different circumstances that we're raised in. And it seems like those circumstances, whether they're really great or maybe they, they can ha be, you know, challenging, they, they motivate us, motivate us to pursue, you know, a certain path as an adult. 
So I was very interested to hear how your rather unusual upbringing, you know, really motivated your path in life. Yeah, it did. Uh, I was just pondering this this week. I, I think that, in a sense, being held back from many of the dreams that I wanted to achieve. I, at that time in my life, the understanding I had that I received was that I could have one or the other. I could have a personal life slash career that had adventure and excitement. And at that stage, I didn't even think in terms of wealth or wealth building. It was so far outside my perception. Or I could have a family, a close family um, and a a sense of belonging. I didn't realize it was possible to have both of those things. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the six years I spent between graduating high school at 17 and leaving this setting at 23, I did a lot, but a lot of it was... Uh, inner focused. I taught a lot of music. I played a lot of music. I wrote a lot. I read a lot and I dreamed a lot. And I think that I built a sense of intensity uh, that I've never lost. Mm -hmm. It's like at that point, when I finally did leave, I took the chance. I took the risk of what I thought would mean losing many things that were important to me in order to build my own life. I had so much intensity that I think it carried me through. It's been um, 12 years since then, and I've built an amazing life. I'm intensely proud of and invested and have accomplished so much. But I think part of that is that being held back, I'm determined never to be held back again by anyone's beliefs but my own, and I am always challenging my own beliefs. Um, And then... Yeah, I think there's, it just seems like the horizons are always bigger than I realize, probably because of that contrast. So it's in a way, it's a gift. I'm, I'm grateful for that because of how I've been able to use it in my life. Absolutely. I think that's really revealing. And I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, And having intensity and really wanting something really bad, that's one of the components that I think we all need in order to reach for the stars and have a bigger life. So we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about how Emily's journey has empowered her to be motivated and really passionate about teaching these unique lessons that she's learned about from starting businesses and becoming a female business owner. So stay with us. We'll be right back to A Wealthy Life with her. Professional women face unique challenges from financial and life circumstances that threaten their long-term financial security. Women earn less than men, live an average five years longer, take time out from their careers to raise children, and are less confident making financial choices. Are you ready to solve the challenges that are robbing you of financial independence? Visit ReinventingHerMoney.com and schedule a chat with a female financial planner who cares. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150KKNW.com. Okay, welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant and my guest, Emily McIntyre, who's a business owner, and she's teaching women how to uh, use their unique abilities as females to open businesses and be strong female leaders. So Emily, last week I had a confidence coach on this show, and we were talking a lot about how women need to develop more confidence in order to really have that great life that they want, that wealthy life. And so I really wanted to talk about, you know, how you developed your confidence because you left a life that you you knew all about how to survive and be there, not survive, but thrive in that lifestyle. But then you you took off and you wanted a whole different life. So how did confidence play a role in that? That is such a good question, Teresa. And I think that there's something about confidence that we sometimes miss, which is that if we don't have a sense of competence about something, there is no way we can feel confident about it. It's it's like we're trying to lie to ourselves that we can do it when we don't know that we 
can. And whether that is taking risks or an actual skill set like um, filling out uh, interview questions or um, applying for jobs, those specific skills require practice before we confident in them. So I was lucky in the sense that I was home. It was a good setting for me. So I learned a lot and I learned I could learn. I think that what I took away there was I could teach myself anything I want, whether it's last year teaching myself how to import containers of coffee into different shipping um, ports, you know, or um, the physical presentation that's needed to sell something or just present myself in a good light. I have confidence I can do that. But I have had to really learn a lot. And I think that the willingness to come to a setting and acknowledge that you don't have all the answers, but you're going to learn them. And that that's one of the most important things to confidence. We don't have to try to trick ourselves into confidence. We simply need to figure out what we're missing and then how we're going to get there and systematically approach those skill sets. Or if it's building a network that we need, we systematically approach building that network in a respectful way. So I think confidence is directly tied to how competent we feel at the pieces necessary to get where we need to go. And that is those things can be practiced and improved. So confidence, like an either or equation, like I have confidence or I don't have confidence, it's earning confidence in ourselves day after day as well. I think that we need to gain confidence in our personal resilience. I personally am confident that I can sustain almost anything that comes my way. I have been very close to homeless. I have been in very dangerous situations. I have also stood up to abusers or walked away from them to protect myself. I have bargained. Uh, I've negotiated for um, what I'm worth. I've also taken less than I'm worth. So I know what that looks like. Um, there are so many ways in which I have proved to myself my resilience. I have found emotional healing as well as professional um, engagement. And so I think that that piece is really applicable to anything. It doesn't matter what setting I find myself in. I'm pretty confident I'm going to find a way forward. And so that is confidence in an unknown setting. But it's built by just proving to myself in a lot of little ways, in a lot of big ways, that I can be an advocate for myself and the people that trust me. And so on the topic of confidence, I think it's something we can gift ourselves with over and over yes. and over. I love your answer in so many ways. Uh, but for women who are, uh, you know, have a vision of um, growing themselves and, and reaching new levels in whatever career or personal uh, personal things they're working towards, it's, it's a constant uh, growing of confidence. It's a constant. Yeah being willing to learn, being willing to admit that there is learning that needs to happen. Definitely. As you gain more confidence with the learning, it just continues. So it's it's a process that we can learn and use over and over. So, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, I love that you're in the coffee business. And so I'd love it if you just told us a little bit about, you know, how uh, opening a coffee business, running a coffee business, what's that been like for you? Sure thing. Well, I have opened or or assumed and owned a coffee subscription company, a cafe and roasting company, a consulting company, and an import-export company in coffee. So um, I've had my finger in a lot of pies. What I will say is that um, lack of business understanding or like the basic pieces that go into it from reading financial statements to knowing what they mean um, reading people and hiring and managing them, um, supply chain management, you know, finding what you're going to sell and then appropriately bringing it in, paying for it, pricing it and selling it and then doing that cycle over and over again. Those pieces are common for all coffee businesses and most businesses in general. The importing business that I currently am CEO of and very engaged in is very, very cool. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I moved to Ethiopia in 2016 with my partner and our four-year-old daughter. We had this zany idea. We, you know, met in the Midwest, two 
completely inexperienced kids who just desperately wanted to make the world a better place and also figure out how to do life for ourselves on our own terms and uh, didn't come from generational wealth, um, didn't really have an idea of how to do anything that we weren't already doing. But we picked up and moved across the country several times, just chasing opportunities and, you know, jobs that turned out to be awful or not what they were supposed to be. Um, but then we'd find ourselves in a new city and trying to adapt. And over time, we ended up working with coffee producers in different countries. So Colombia, Peru, Nicaragua, Cameroon, Ethiopia. And we visited them. So, you know, my first time out of the U.S., I was 30 years old, went to Peru for three weeks to work with coffee producers totally transformative. Um, and then in 2016, we made the decision to focus entirely on Ethiopian coffee. And there were a number of reasons there, but it was partly because um, every action we took seemed to have an outsized effect. So we moved there as a family, fall of 2016, stayed there for six months. And we worked with a number of specific projects in the supply chain in Ethiopia. And we produced, uh, just to help our client who was really struggling with just losing a ton of money because they weren't doing a good job with their processes. They would process coffee and they wouldn't do a good enough job. And then the customer would reject that coffee and they'd be left with multiple shipping containers full of coffee that would sit there and age. Um, so we made a report for them talking about how to mitigate that risk, how they could, you know, implement different pieces of their puzzle to lower their ultimate exposure to this situation where they ended up holding a bunch of coffee that had been rejected. That case study made its way to the prime minister of Ethiopia. And in response to that and people, he created a task force to ultimately within six months completely change the legislation around coffee and traceability and transparency. So that was just one piece of the puzzle that forced us to realize that Ethiopia was the future for us. So we founded Catalyst Trade with Ethiopian coffee producers. It's a majority Ethiopian owned company. Um, I'm the only woman on the board and my partner and I are the only American founders in the group. So it's been so fascinating as a learning experience in, I mean, a couple of kids from the Midwest, you know, and here we are doing this international business and often figuring things out the hard way, whether it's interpersonal stuff or, you know, the logistics um, of finance management and um, massive cash flow and inventory management and logistics of importing. It's so much fun because we have so many problems to solve. Yes. And because we're a small company, um, self-funded, we have to be super creative about how we solve those problems. So the larger importing companies will have massive structures to handle these things, but we are figuring out with few resources how to do this. And we get to work with coffee roasters all throughout North America, and we've worked in Europe and China as well. There's a huge, huge potential, but what we're super excited about is that we're doing a really good job with the coffee itself, with the relationships, and with how we're doing business. So every day we're trying to show up and do a better job at the business itself and its impact. Um, it's so empowering to know that what we're doing individually is leading to this kind of result. Not that there aren't a lot of times when it feels like uh, we're not making enough change, or it's just not working, but this project is incredibly rewarding. And I get to see my coffee that I personally am in love with. I'm in love with the producers and their families, the little old lady who brought the coffee cherries strapped to her head in a big basket on her back. I'm so in love with this whole process and with everybody who touches it all the way through to the coffee consumer who might be proudly purchasing a bag of this special coffee and bringing it to a friend and saying, hey, I know you're having a hard day, so why don't you try this cool coffee from Ethiopia? And I, I get to make that happen. It's incredibly exciting. Well, uh, let me tell you, you just embody the passionate female CEO being in love with something that she had no idea when she was growing up, you know, that this would be something that you got the opportunity to do. And you seem so grateful about that, you know, what you've Very discovered. much. 
and the ability to learn and grow uh, with all of the financial aspects. Yes. Of running an international company, which are challenging. So, you know, let's turn the topic a little bit toward, you know, giving us some more of a flavor of how this experience is has led you to uh, opening this, the intuitive CEO. It's because of the lessons you've learned and because you want yes. to put that on. Am I right? Yes, so much so. I don't have a conventional background as a CEO. Far from it. I have an associate's degree, which I earned over the course of being pregnant and having a baby and trying my first remote job. Um, and that's it. No more university training. Um, I am very lucky that I love words and communication. So that's been the way that I've entered um, business through countless articles and websites and, you know, so many ways that I've communicated. But, you know, that's my entry point. Everybody needs an entry point. And the intuitive CEO is a concept that's still new. I'm really excited and I've been working toward this for a long time. And ultimately, I would like to see this become um, an educational network where people of many different backgrounds can feel comfortable to come and learn from people with similar or different backgrounds, practical and the skills to succeed, whether in someone else's business or in your own. And I have learned a lot of this the hard way. I've learned to stand up for myself by experiencing chauvinism and sexism and outright abuse. And there, it's been tough, but I have learned to take up space in response to that. So what I would love is to be able to share that with others. Maybe they don't have to experience what I experienced to be able to take up that much space. Um, martial arts taught me how to breathe in moments of conflict. And that really helped when an abuser sought me out in a public place and I couldn't do anything about it in an industry setting where my reputation was at stake and I was able to stare him down and he walked off. It was huge for me, that pivotal moment. And I realized after he walked off, it was because I learned the practical skills of putting my shoulders back, narrowing my perspective to him so that he, I didn't have a full frontal openness to him. This is just something I learned in self-defense classes deepening my breathing, and just not giving an inch. That has helped me navigate challenging situations over and over and over again. So that's one example. Um, here's another example. I knew nothing at all about finance management. I knew how to balance a checkbook. That was it. And I was lucky I knew how to do that um, because I did that for my dad in his small carpentry business. So that, that was cool. I had a good connotation with that. Um, but I didn't know the first thing about accessing financing for growing a business. Um, I didn't even have a credit score until I was 30 because I did everything cash, which is not a bad personal practice if you're just trying to live within your means. Um, but it's not useful when you're trying to grow anything at all. And I didn't even know the language around finance or, and I was embarrassed about it. I was shamed and honestly missed a lot of opportunities because I was afraid to put my hand up and do the paperwork and documentation needed to prove that I was a good risk for um, backers. However, when I took over as the CEO, when I started Catalyst Trade and entered as CEO, I knew we needed access to financing. We're an international importing company. There is no way we do this without having good relationships with bankers and other financial entities that allow us to do this and turn our cash flow as necessary. Let's take a quick little break and uh, we'll come right back to A Wealthy Life for Her. According to the American Medical Association study on how women physicians are prepared for retirement, over half of women physicians believe they have unique or more complicated financial needs than their peers in other professions. Teresa Leftenant believes that every high-earning woman deserves a truly personalized, not cookie-cutter financial plan, so she will have the best chance of pursuing her vision for a happy, healthy, and wealthy life. Explore your financial potential by joining our mailing list at reinventinghermoney.com. 
Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk 1150. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant and my guest, Emily McIntyre. And we're talking about how a woman can become the intuitive CEO. And, you know, we're talking about the lessons that Emily learned opening up her coffee businesses. She runs an international coffee trade company. And so let's continue our discussion, Emily. One of the things I wanted to sort of like put in quotes uh, around what you were saying before is um, learning to take up space as a woman. Let's explore that concept a little bit. Absolutely. We are all survivalists, men, women, whoever. We have to be. That's that's why we're here. For women, traditionally, this has meant shrinking don't threaten the people who are responsible for giving us food, shelter, and access to resources. And then usually there are children involved. And so it's not just fight or flight, it's freeze to protect the people who depend on you. So I honestly think that the fact that women have held so much power through the centuries while still staying behind the scenes in general is really indicative of how much, um, agency we have found in adverse circumstances. That's cool. And I personally experienced this where I had an expansive personality, unafraid, delighted to take on challenges, but the people who shaped me um, were concerned for me that that might lead me into danger. And also the, I mentioned earlier, the very conservative um, fundamentalist setting in which I was born um, didn't allow women to take up space in this way. So very specifically, women were not allowed to speak in church because it was in the Bible. Um, right. Carry that through, carry that through to questions about money. So ultimately, autonomy is about having access to money because money is how we engage with the world with any sort sense of um, power. If a woman is not given the concept of money as a thing to use, to nurture, whatever, she has no way to approach it. And so I think that taking up space isn't just physical. Like I mentioned earlier, that's something that we have to do as women. We were taught to shrink, to not be threatening. We were taught to be in a mirroring response where a more assertive person takes up more space physically in a room and we take up less and thus we're safe. So we have to actually address the physical and body language pieces of this, where we learn to put our shoulders back, do power poses, do whatever we have to do to take up space. There are some really great resources out there on this, which I have been very grateful for. Um, But then when it comes to money, since that's the topic of this podcast or radio piece, we have to acknowledge that it takes a lot of skill and it takes courage And then it also takes a sort of earned confidence that many women are not given to explore money. Um, Just today, actually, I was challenged in this because um, I was bidding a a contract consultant project. And I knew what I needed per hour to make this work to balance out the cost on my life. Um, But I it was high. And I really sat on it for a while. I was concerned. And I ended up throwing out that number and landed the, the gig within a couple hours. It was easy approval. I have the skill set. And it was reminded me that I felt that awkward about saying, yeah, I'm worth this much per hour um, in a setting where I was specifically sought out to do that thing, which I'm known for, shows how deeply this shame around money is set. Now, I would like to point out it's not just women who feel this shame. I think that a lot of people who come from a blue collar background feel this shame. A lot of people come from a lower or lower middle class background feel this shame. I have conversations like this a lot with my husband who comes from a blue collar background and the two of us together have tackled this 
shame around money in a really intentional way because we identified it as one of the biggest pieces holding us back from having wealth uh, to pass along to our daughter, who we don't want to feel this shame. Um, there's a kind of um, shrinking that happens when you have to sell yourself or you know anything that you put together um, for money. It's weird. If you're not already used to doing this, it's very uncomfortable. But what I would like to say to you who are listening to this, if you feel this shame or this discomfort uh, or a shrinkage, even a physical shrinkage around the topic of money, um, you can learn to expand here. You can learn to take up this space. It is a learnable skill set to ask for what you're worth and, and to build a sense of spaciousness, even in, this, even in the middle of conflict or other people telling you you're not good enough or even systems that tell you that you're not good enough to ask for this or demand this. Nobody is gonna give it to you if you don't ask. And this system is set up to reward those people who make a lot of noise and show up regardless of their qualifications and demand a certain compensation or notice and attention whatever. And so we have to learn how to show up like this, to take space and say, yeah, I'm in process. I'm not trying to bully anybody here, but I'm worth this. My advice to you is worth this. My skills are worth this. My presence in your space is worth this. And I am not ashamed of that. And if you don't see that value, we clearly aren't a good fit. So that's cool. I'll find somebody else to work with. Well, you know, when I speak to women uh, around these areas and I and a woman is experiencing that tendency to shrink back or to to be unwilling to step into her power around asking uh, for things around money, I, I generally ask her to try one thing. And it's it's like what we were talking about with confidence. If you take one step, if you take one risk and you succeed at it, that builds confidence for the next thing. So you can learn it one step at a time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we need some encouragement. We need some coaching. We need, you know, a girlfriend. We need a team like you're putting together in the intuitive CEO to empower us to step into places that we aren't really feeling comfortable about. So, so you know, true. and, and, I love what you're talking about, you know, the, this idea that women have a vulnerability around who they are. That's just part of who we are. Actually, it's one of the things that men find attractive about women is that we can be more vulnerable, uh, softer, and um, that doesn't have to be something that we can't uh, utilize. I mean, not, not use, but we can't express in business settings. So share how that works for you. Yeah, actually, on that note, I do think we can use our vulnerability as a tool. I think it's one of the most powerful tool, tools that anybody who's willing to tap into it can use. And I'm man, woman, whatever. If you have the soul material, if you're big enough to show up without a massive ego as a shield, you will stand out uh -huh. because... The business world is mostly based on smoke and mirrors and insecurity. And this thing where whoever makes the most noise tends to get the most notice. Well, the flip side of this thing of showing up unashamedly and taking space is that if you, okay, let me back up a little bit and give a really personal example here. Um, I think all of us have certain places of fear physically and emotionally where it crosses over and ethically too. Am I willing to do? Am I going to face? So I was um, in a situation about a year and a half ago um, in a town in Ethiopia with my husband and my daughter, who was six at the time, where uh, the local organized crime setting intervened with a protest that was happening. And we ended up having 100,000 people or more marching through the streets of a town where we were staying at the time. We were um, retained in a small compound um, for five days. And it was honestly pretty scary, partly because um, 
there was there was one time where I was actually threatened by one of the leaders of the organization who was, you know, the, the kind of mafioso guy. We called him Don Corleone um, with low, so he couldn't hear us. <laughs> um, and, you know, so ultimately that protest turned out to be peaceful. Uh, so I was lucky and I don't want to downplay. I really don't want to... Um, overly dramatize this, dr dramatize the situation. But at the time, we didn't know what was happening. What we did know was that there were eight trucks full of troops with fully automatic weapons coming closer and that we didn't really have any way out. And, and we had our six-year-old daughter with us. Mm -hmm. It was very scary. Um, it was really, really scary. Yeah. And then we ended up um, chartering a private helicopter. So privilege right there. We were able to do that. Mm. We walked about a mile to a field where this helicopter landed. And then this is the part that of all of this really caused me to think about this thing of shields and vulnerability. Mm. This guy, this dude tried to take our spot in the helicopter. Oh. Like he literally pushed past us and shoved into the helicopter past my six-year-old daughter. So this is a guy who's like close to the end of his life. Mm. Um, he's kind of a colonial person who's gone around just like benefiting from all the little producers that he buys from. And I could get into detail there, but I won't. Not the kind of person I respect. And he tried to take my daughter's spot on a helicopter to escape what at the time seemed very much like a life or death situation. Yeah. And we got him out and left. And I threw some pretty intense shock. Um, we had a confrontation with him at the small regional airport where he yelled to the entire airport that this family had tried to take his spot. It was crazy. And it really cut me deep because I felt like my trust for you know, humanity was pretty, pretty cut. Yeah. I also realized that I would have done anything to protect my daughter right then. It didn't matter what yeah. I would have done it. Um, and all I had to do was get him out of that helicopter, but I'd have done more. So I walked away from that realizing that I survived that without shame. This was a crazy situation for me in my own life. Mm -hmm. And I remember that when I'm faced with situations where I have to admit that I don't know that much because mm -hmm. I have nothing left to lose at this point. Sure. Yeah. There's, you know, trappings and stuff like that, but all I need is my two loved ones who are in my family, my right. husband and my daughter. So when I come to a negotiating table and there's a lot of ego pumping, I can sit and listen because I don't have to prove anything. Or like I've done, I can come to and say, hey, I don't actually know how this works. Mm -hmm. Can you show me? I've got this yeah. cool business. I think you're gonna like it. I just don't know how to approach it. And it just brings the most wonderful things out of people, this vulnerability. I just, it, it brings love and affection and resources that I didn't even know existed. So again, long meandering personal story there to illustrate how tapping into our own personal limits and challenges can help us be vulnerable. And that can apply in every aspect of our lives because vulnerability is our best shield. It's the best yeah. thing we can do to show up naked and unashamed, not needing anything mm -hmm. and human to human. Mm -hmm. It speaks. I do. I, I love that you shared this story because I do think it's a great representation of a, a quality that women tend to believe that they have to cover up when in actuality it can be one of our biggest strengths. Yeah. And I know that you have, you know, other qualities that you believe women should bring to the forefront in order to succeed in the way that she wants to succeed, that she deserves to, and that she's, you know, impassioned to. Because like you, so many women have something that they really, really want to accomplish or they really, really a gift they really want to give in life. 
And uh, I know that your your intuitive CEO organization is going to help them. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time together. But thank you so much, Emily. Uh, yeah, I know thank that you. people can follow you um, on the intuitiveceo.net site. And uh, I looked at the site. It's beautiful. Um, and you have so many uh, very compelling things to think about on the site. So I'll be following you as well. Thank you, thank you again. Uh, Thanks so so much, um, next week, our guest will be Marianne Oser, a retirement and relationship coach. She's also a speaker and an author of a book called Retire and Be Happy. She's a seasoned expert who focuses on assisting her clients to build happy, fulfilling lives in the post-career phase of their lives. And our topic will be challenges women face transitioning into retirement. So thanks for listening, everybody, and being part of our Wealthy Life for Her mission. I know you have a lot of shows and podcasts to choose from, and I'm always grateful when you choose ours. If you enjoyed yourself, please share the show with your friends and family. I want to thank Alexis Lieutenant Gregory, who composed our theme music, Eric, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW 1150 AM. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube under Teresa Lieutenant, and check out our resources at reinventinghermoney.com. Remember, ladies, financial independence is your birthright. With the right education and empowerment and the right financial advice, you can overcome any financial challenge and create a wealthy life on your terms. See you next week. Teresa Lieutenant encourages women to talk openly about money by providing virtual and live talking circles where members come together in a spirit of trust, respect, and mutual support. Reinventing Her Money also provides financial education, workshops, webinars, speaking events, and transformational experiences to companies and organizations. If your group would like Teresa Lieutenant to speak or facilitate a financial topic for your women's group, learn more at reinventinghermoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at reinventinghermoney.com.